0: Well, good morning. We're continuing this morning with our series on the life of David. And if you heard in our first reading, we come to this kind of shocking story uh, of Uzzah and the Ark. And I say it's shocking because if you read, you know, a surface reading of this story and you think, you know, God must somehow be capricious or arbitrary, and that poor Uzzah was just kind of this unwitting victim of God's volatility— but that's not the case at all. And, you know, this morning we're not going to rush to judgment without context, but instead we're going to do a deep dive into this passage because in it, David learns a very valuable lesson about who God is and how God is to be approached. And for us, the central question this morning is, by what terms Can we have a relationship with God? So, three points for today. Point one, touch the sacred at your peril. Point two, God is dangerous. And point three, approach God on his terms. All right, let's dive in. Point one, touch the sacred at your peril. So, for those of you who haven't seen Indiana Jones, and you knew that you were going to get a reference there, we're talking about the Ark. Um, The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box. It was about four feet. Is this four feet? Four feet, two and a half feet. It was covered with gold, and there were two angels, right, two cherubim that were bowing over with their wings forward like this over, and in between them was what was called the mercy seat. And on the outside of the Ark, there were four gold rings, and the way that the ark was supposed to be carried is priests were supposed to take two acacia poles and put them through those rings, and that's how you carried the ark. You know, what's interesting, and it's not only just about the ark, but when you look at how God describes worship in the Old Testament, it's interesting. It's always very specific, and it's always according to God's instruction. And this specificity should have clued David in to an essential truth of God. God may care about things that you don't. You know, that might sound obvious, right? But I think this is a common pitfall that is throughout the Old Testament, and it certainly carries through to this day. I mean, ask yourself for a moment, how many times have you thought, eh, God doesn't really care about, you know, whatever it is, Right? God doesn't really care about a little cheating here, or God doesn't really care about a little lie here, or God doesn't really care if I take this shortcut, or let's focus on worship. God doesn't really care if I go to church on Sunday. I mean, what's the big deal? God doesn't really care if I don't pray uh, that often. God doesn't really even care how he's worshiped. And you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know about that. I read Scripture, and I'm really not sure about that. I mean, if you're anything like me, there are a lot of things that you don't care about. I mean, me too. But to confuse yourself with God isn't a position you want to be in. And it doesn't take much to put you there, does it? Let's take worship, for example. And by the way, I'm, you're welcome to email me. I'm going to have plenty of things to email about in the sermon. But I'm going to dive in. Let's take worship, for example. What happens... When you turn a church into an auditorium with stadium-style seating and you take out a sanctuary and you put a stage, what does that say about worship? Well, worship becomes a performance, preaching becomes about entertainment, and the audience is no longer God but you. I want you to think about this question for a second, think about the question, how is worship today? It's an absurd question because the only person that question should be directed to is God. It's for Him. We're all here for Him. You know, worship is for God, and it's our prayer that our worship would find favor in His sight. You know, and I'll admit, you know, worship style might be a personal soapbox of mine, but it is worth looking at the whole of Scripture and seeing what seems to be important to God. You know, I could go into God directing incense to be carried with the ark, but, you know, I don't need any more emails, so. But think about that, right? The point is, we are not to treat casually those things that are considered sacred just because we don't understand their use. And this is an essential principle, and it can be brought down even and applied to our culture, right? We're going to go from an uppercase sacred of the things of God to a lowercase sacred, but there are incredibly important cultural touchstones for us, central things, things that a lot of people in this day and age are treating casually because most people aren't bothering to look at their reason for being or the implications if they're lost. Are you ready? Let's look at free speech. It's lowercase sacred. You can, make it, you can make a case that it's an uppercase sacred because you know what? It's based on the foundational principle that you and I have individual sovereignty because we're made in the image of God and we carry that image. And speech is a creative act and we are made to be creators. And what happens when we start curtailing this, this sacred principle? Because, because free speech will inevitably cause harm. Well, it leaves wide open the question, right? What constitutes harm, and who defines it? You probably heard, uh, as well as I did, the example of the pastor who was arrested in England, later released, 71-year-old pastor who was preaching, and he wasn't preaching hellfire and brimstone, he was just stating his position on traditional marriage, and it got him arrested. Who constitutes harm? What constitutes harm, and who gets to make that decision? Should be a foundational principle. Mess with it, don't touch sacred things. Don't mess with these things. Second principle. Virality up yet? Here we go, ready? Colorblindness. Ooh, don't want to touch that one. You know, treating people based on the content of their character and not the melanin in their skin. This is also a reasonably sacred principle because the Bible is not race essentialist. It does not impart guilt or innocence based on your skin color, and it does not create different classes of people based on your skin color. Now, when I say colorblindness, I mean an ideal that we're striving towards. I'm not saying we ignore the past and history. But if we ignore this, this is another principle, if it it falls apart, it will create division, unnecessary division in Christ's church, and we don't need that. Don't touch sacred things. And we could go on, but the fundamental point is that we live in a reality that is constructed by God, and in some profound ways shaped by His principles. And when we begin to change or neglect things that we don't understand or don't care about, there can be serious consequences. Look what happened to Uzzah. You know, Numbers chapter four. God had given very clear instructions about how the ark was to be carried on poles of acacia wood by by Levitical priests, not an ox cart. And yet, rather than obey God, David and the others messed with the sacred, and it cost them. Which leads to our second point: God is dangerous. You know, when I was studying the passage this week, I really had to stop and think about this for a second, because much more often, we prefer to think of God in terms of loving and merciful and kind and good, and He is all of those things. But He's also a great deal more than that. How do you think, for example, Pharaoh and the Egyptian armies would have thought of God? What about the Canaanites? What about the Philistines? What about anyone really who stands in opposition to God or treats him with presumption? I mean, just look at the ark's history. You know, this ark that we're talking about, well, decades before Uzzah touched the ark, there were these two wicked sons of Eli. They brought the ark into battle because they were trying to use God as a talisman for victory. And they lost, and they got killed. And the ark was taken from them by the Philistines. Then after capturing the ark, the Philistines brought it into their temple so they could get the benefits of God. And guess what happened? Their own deity was knocked over, head fell off, arms fell off. They got tumors and an infestation of mice. They're trying to use God, being presumptuous. So what did they do? They shipped it off, right? They they put a lot of um, gold tumors and mice in it as as an offering to God. they just like, get this out of here. Then Then the Israelite town received it. You know what they did? They opened it up. Seventy were killed. Presumptuous, right? And they realized this ark's too dangerous. This is too much for us. So then they shipped it off as well. And And King Saul was pretty well content to leave the ark alone except for one minor incident where he brought it in for a battle and then put it back because the ark of God was dangerous. You know, the consensus seemed to be that the presence of God was more trouble than it was worth. But it was not the presence of God that was the problem. You know, after all, when it went to um, Obed-Edom, the Gittite's house, it provided incredible blessing for that household. Instead, it was their presumption that was the problem. You know, Eli's sons thought they could use it to gain victory. Philistines tried to use it so God would bless them. Who knows what the Israelites were thinking in opening it up? But it's presumption, it's arrogance, it's disrespect, it's forgetting ourselves in front of our Creator. You know, and the attitude displayed in these ancient stories is one of using God to attain what you want. But I think they understood something that we don't as moderns. At least they respected the power of God. You know, I think modern presumption is worse. Because what it looks like is we, look at, we, we view God as harmless, docile, just waiting for our prayers in order to do something nice for us and make us happy. It's presumptuous. And it's a dangerous misunderstanding of who God is. And you might think, well, that's Old Testament God, right? He was angry, and, you know, New Testament God is nice, so, you know, it's simple. Well, one, Hebrews says, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so we can't play that game. And two, there's this really curious incident in 1 Corinthians 11 in the New Testament, because Paul wrote that those who approached communion in an unworthy manner, that is, they didn't discern the presence of Christ, they didn't reflect on their sins, they ate and drank judgment on themselves. And Paul says explicitly, some became sick, some died, Presumption. God is not harmless. God is holy. This is why Uzzah's presumption got him killed. He presumed that the ark would be more defiled by touching the ground than it would be by touching him. You know, Uzzah was a sinful man and maybe not not more so than you, and certainly not more sinful than I. But any sin at all is enough to keep us from the fullness of God's presence. As shadows are obliterated in the presence of light, so we can't encounter God and live. We aren't constituted for it. And I believe, as we look at our text, that this incident of the ark was a wake-up call for David. You know, up until this point, we've been talking about David for a month now, up until this point, David had only ever experienced God as his benefactor, right? And here, maybe for the first time, he realized, you know, this God is holier than I thought. And he despaired, and this is what he said. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? It's not that David didn't have the intention and the desire and the, you know, He wanted to be in God's presence and to experience him, but he despaired of it. How can this come to me? Which brings us to our third point, approaching God on his terms. You know, God is no less holy now than he was in the time of David. So what are we to do? Avoid him? Some do. But the presence of God brings with it incredible blessing. You know, our telos, our whole reason for being, is to know God, to be known by Him. Not merely to be acknowledged by the Creator of the universe, but to be loved by Him and united with Him. And that is the greatest possible gift. And David knew that. That's why he sought the ark right after establishing his city. He had experienced God in part, but he wanted God's dwelling to be in the center of his people. You know, for God to be in the heart of the city was for God to be the heart of the city. And that was David's desire. And to accomplish that, David had to approach God on his terms. So, what did David do? Well, he humbled himself, he wore simple linen garments, he made an animal sacrifice. And by doing so, he acknowledged that to be in the presence of God, there must be atonement for sin. And he followed the way that God had made for sinful men to draw near to him. And then in the presence of God, he danced with all his might. You know, David's story is our story too. Like Uzzah, we were once too stained with sin to be in the presence of a holy God. And we too were presumptuous, caring too little about the sacred things of God and oblivious to our own sinful state. But just as God made a way for David, he has made a way for us. in his son, Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross for our sin, paved the way for you and I to approach the throne of a holy God with confidence Not in our own righteousness, but in His. You know, by clothing ourselves with humility, by repenting of our sins, and by falling on the mercy of God, we too can enter into the joy of God's presence, and we too can look forward to the day where He will once again dwell in fullness with His people. Let us pray. Holy Father, I thank you that you have made a way for us to dwell with you by the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, by our willingness to repent, to accept his righteousness in place of our own. I pray that you would remind us that you are a holy God, and it is our honor to worship you. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.